Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, send your spirit to us in this time and this place. May our words speak to our hearts and our lives. May we learn something of you in your mysterious ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson today is from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, the first two verses, followed by verses 6 through 14. Hear these words. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A little refresher course on the prophet Elijah is in order, I think, because depending on the nature of our religious upbringing or not, we all bring different levels of familiarity with biblical characters and stories. Some of us know a lot about them. Some of us don't. Maybe even some of us know just enough to be dangerous. 
But whichever category you believe yourself to be in, we're glad you're here. We need to know a little bit about Elijah's stature to appreciate what his protege, Elisha, is dealing with in today's Old Testament scripture. For in short, Elijah was larger than life. A prophet who performed awe-inspiring miracles with great drama and flair in the northern kingdom of Israel. When Elijah showed up, things happened. There was the time he stayed in Zarephath with a starving widow and her son who were about to run out of food because there was a drought. But when Elijah came to them, it miraculously kept replenishing itself. They didn't run out. They were saved. And then sometime later, when that widow's beloved son got very sick and died, it was Elijah who cried out to God and brought this boy back to life. It was Elijah who confronted the corrupt and powerful King Ahab with his gross misconduct. And up on Mount Carmel, where I stood just weeks ago, Elijah set up a very public and high drama contest to see whether Ahab's god, Baal, or Israel's god, Yahweh, was more powerful. Baal failed in spectacular fashion, while Elijah's god prevailed in even more spectacular fashion. And one more key prequel to today's story is when Elijah commissioned Elisha into service for the very first time. He did so by tossing his mantle over Elisha's shoulders. Now this mantle was a cloak, a cloak with great versatility. It provided him warmth and protection and even covered his face when he encountered God. And not only was this cloak, this mantle, practical, it was also symbolic, signifying dignity, power, and authority. By tossing his mantle on Elisha that very first time, he had said, in effect, come and learn from me. So here we have Elijah and Elisha, iconic teacher, and devoted student, esteemed mentor and faithful mentee, spiritual leader, and devout follower. Everywhere that Elijah went, Elisha was sure to go. And I imagine they grew close. So when it came time for Elijah's ministry to come to a close, and for him to be taken up to heaven, as the story says, Elisha was so committed that he refused to stay behind. He would not let go. He followed his leader from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and finally down to the Jordan River. And we heard in today's reading that when they got there, Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and the water parted so that they could cross over on dry ground, just, just like Moses parted the Red Sea. And then, then we heard Elijah tell Elisha 
that this was it. His moment of departure had arrived. It was time to go. Now, I can imagine that this could be news that Elisha did not want to hear. It may have shocked him, caused him profound sadness, provoked an anxiety attack, or even a fit of irritation and anger. Do you suppose he had a few expletives run through his mind, the kind that we don't usually say in church? And I can also imagine that it may have been bittersweet for him, sadness at his impending departure, and hopeful of the opportunity that came next. Now tell me, given the recently announced transitions of beloved staff members here at Third Church, including John's new call in Philadelphia that we learned about just this past week. Marianne's new ministry in Atlanta, does this seem a little familiar? If you are or have experienced the loss of another mentor who's been dear to you, doesn't it resonate with you just a little bit? You see, from my perspective, today's lectionary text couldn't have come at a more providential time. They have an uncanny ability to do that. This is a story that people of faith have told and retold for thousands of years, and they still retell it for a reason. According to New York Times writer Bruce Feiler, Stories are the secret sauce that hold groups of people, families, and communities together. In fact, there's actually research that says a strong family narrative is what holds families together. The ones that know a lot about their families tend to do better when they face challenges. In a series of psychological tests taken by children, Filer writes, the more they knew about their family's history, the stronger their sense of control over their lives, the higher their self-esteem, and the more successfully they believed their families functioned. In fact, science tells us that these stories can even rewire our brains. Isn't that amazing? They can reshape our neural networks. Or as Chuck DeGroat put it, we thrive when we listen and tell. Now, I think we know this at our core. As people of faith, we are rooted in the big story of God at work in this world from the beginning of time. And just as children's well-being benefits from the knowing and retelling of their family stories of challenges faced and overcome, our well-being, the well-being of this faith community, is tied to 
and shaped by our knowing and rehearsing our formative stories over and over again. The stories of God at work in the world, of challenges faced by God's people, and the ways in which God responds to their needs and circumstances. It's why we tell them in Sunday school, and in worship, and in study groups, and even at home. They help us keep our bearings and rewire our neural networks. They help us come to terms not only with what is, but what can be, and even what will be. And that is why this narrative, with its fantastic apocalyptic imagery, matters. Now, I don't know if our soon-to-be departing colleagues will be leaving in a flourish of fiery chariots and horses like Elijah did. I believe Marianne is going to Atlanta with a decidedly more mundane rented moving van. And John, well, who knows? But those of us who will be left behind might sense a kindred spirit in Elisha, which is why the rest of the story also matters. Before the moment Elijah was taken up to God's presence, before Elisha tore his own clothes in deep grief and mourning as he was left behind, Elijah gave his student a chance, a chance to make one last request. One last request. What should Elisha ask for from the one that has mentored him? What one thing? If you've only got one more chance to receive something from your beloved mentor, you have got to get it right. It's got to be important. It's got to be meaningful. And it's got to be lasting, because Elijah would not be coming back. What would you ask for if you could ask something from the mentor who's leaving you? What would you want to have that would last? I have a friend who, when her daughters were young and entering school for the first time, would kiss the palm of each of her daughter's hands before they got on the school bus every morning. It was a magic kiss, she said, one that would last all day long. If during the day they missed her or felt lonely, all they had to do was take the palm of that hand where she had planted that kiss and hold it up to their cheek. And by doing that, because that magic kiss could not wear off, she said, She would be close by whenever they needed her to be, even though she wasn't physically there. In some ways, Elisha asked for something like that, something that would transcend Elijah's absence and allow him to carry on Elijah's work. So the thing he asked for was a double share of Elijah's prophetic spirit. He asked to inherit the spirit of Elijah that would stay with him long after he was gone. I imagine Elisha wanted a quick 
yes. Yes, I'll give it to you, and here it is. But he had just asked for a very hard thing, for Elijah knew that determination wasn't his to give. It was God's to give, just as it was God that gave that spirit to Elijah in the first place. And Elisha would know that if he saw his teacher as he was being taken up. Now, as the story is told, Elisha did see Elijah ascending, but even though he received that very clear sign, he still tore his own clothes in grief. The text doesn't tell us how long he grieved, but grief, being what grief is, often takes a while. And as he grieved, he saw lying on the ground Elijah's mantle. The mantle that symbolized prophetic authority. The mantle that Elijah had used to part the waters of the Jordan. The mantle that Elijah used to commission Elisha in the first place. It had fallen on the ground. It had fallen from Elijah's shoulders as he ascended to glory. And now Elisha faced another choice. Should he leave it there or pick it up? What would you have done? Would you have left it there or would you have picked it up? And if you had picked it up as Elisha eventually did, what would you do with it? Would you stand on the riverbank like Elisha did? Would you just stand there holding it, contemplating its fabric and weave in thickness? Or would you roll up that mantle and see what it could do? It's an uncertain proposition when you're not sure if God has really handed that spirit down to you. And this is why we tell the rest of the story, the whole story, because seeing what God has already done gives us a really good glimpse into what God will do again, even and especially when we are in the middle of these uncertain transitions. And the story tells us that Elisha picked up the mantle and he took it and he struck the water and the water parted for a second time. And now he knew. God had indeed given him Elijah's spirit. He knew because the mantle was filled with the power to part the water. And the thing about the mantle is that its power does not come from its wearer. Its power comes from God. It always has. It always will, then and now and for years to come. Now we will have more days and weeks to process the transitions that we are now beginning. Today's will not be the final word or only words on what that means for all of us, for congregation and staff. But this scripture story is a good place to start. It's a story to remember and recite again and again during these days because God has never relied on a singular individual to do God's work. 
God is always calling forth new disciples and new leaders with a simple toss of a mantle. And the one that's in front of us, the one that calls to us is in our baptism. It's right there, right by the water that fills the font. It is right there. Pick it up. It is bursting with the power of God. Amen.